Again, it is good to take moments and time to reflect on these things. Ken and Cheryl went through, I think, 60 hours. Is that right? 60 hours of training uh, to be able to serve in this ministry. It is an important one uh, and a timely one. And so, uh, again, what a, a privilege to be able to share in this together as a church family. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 into chapter 4, verse 5. As we continue our series, we just have a few more weeks on it before we get into our Advent season. Um, But we are talking about the significance of the church. Last week, we began a, a specific focus on the character of the church. The character of the church is that the church is to be a praying people, that we are, prayer is to be a characteristic of who we are. Today we're going to look at the Word. The Word is to be characteristic of us, that we are to be people of the Word. And so we're going to look at a very familiar passage that talks about the Word and its import into the life and ministry of a church. And so let's read through um, somewhat of a, a couple of paragraphs, but let's take the time to hear these words. Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14 and going through chapter 4, verse 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itchy ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And as we come to it, as we focus on it today, and as we take this time to see that it is to be the thing that characterizes us, I pray that you would move our hearts to trust your word, to take it seriously and joyfully, hopefully. Would you do that in us, I pray? I know that we've had so many competing sounds and thoughts and ideas and philosophies thrown our way in the week that was, and they're waiting for us in the week ahead. Would you stabilize our faith with this time in your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Churches can lose the plot. It's true. It's unfortunate. But churches can lose the plot of the story. When I was in seminary, I interned at a large church near our house. It had all the bells and whistles, all the amenities, of a large church, but it was nearly dead behind the doors. Years of success led to a loss of the plot. Core values and philosophy of ministries began competing against each other rather than working in concert together. Over time, relationships fractured. Throw in some moral failings, and you have a ghost town of a church. Hallowed halls hollowed out. While I was there, interning, they brought in a new senior pastor. And for two years, I watched this guy lead the church forward with a very basic approach. He preached through books of the Bible, 
taught basics of the Christian faith, trained and equipped leaders, and reorganized the church around the simple but deep truths of what it means to be the church. No bells, no whistles. Very ordinary. In time, that church recovered. They were renewed by the word. And to this very day, they are now thriving once again. The word matters. It matters more than we realize. And it doesn't need our help. Honestly, we need its help to keep the plot. And this is to be the core character of the church. Is that we keep the plot by keeping the word the main thing. This is a church. And that's what we're going to consider today. We want to be a church that's characterized by the word. And I have three simple ways to put it, but I'll add a little more thoughts around that. But, but this, these kind of simple language helps me think about it and keep, keep sort of the, the narrative and the plot, if you will. A church characterized by the word continues on in whatever, no matter what. A church characterized by the word continues on, keeps going, keeps trusting, keeps believing, keeps doing the work that we're called to as a church in whatever circumstances, in all circumstances, no matter what. No matter what. Let's walk through that together. First, let's see how the church characterized by the word continues on. Look again with me back at verses 14 and 15 in chapter 3. The words will be on screen, but if you have your Bible, you can look there. It says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here we see, continuing on serves as a foundation for ministry for the church. This is the foundation for ministry of the church. And there's two things that I want to say about this continuing on, about the word. Continuing on the word first is a necessity for the church. It is a necessity for the church. The phrase continue in, that's what we find there in verse 14, means to stay in place, figuratively to remain in a sphere, to stand against opposition, to hold out, to stand fast, to stay still, to remain, to endure, to stay in force. It's something that is stable and foundational, and it's a necessity for the church. Those descriptions that mark that word, to continue in, they're not lighthearted. This is something substantial, important, and urgent, both in time and in importance. We're to continue in, in it. And so it conveys both the idea of stability, but also endurance. That our forward progression in the faith is a deepening clinging to the word. Like We can't escape it. We have to have it. Only one thing can carry such foundational weight. For the life of a church. Not our ingenuity or our creativity or our relevance. Those can come and go. No, it has to, and it can't carry the weight. It has to be something that can, and it's the Word. And the Acts, the account of the apostles or the account of the Holy Spirit, depending on how you read it, um, in Acts in your New Testament, repeatedly, a number of times we get a verse like this, Acts 19.20, that says this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The church was exploding with growth. The the mission work and missionalness of the church and the outgoing work of the church and the believers, new believers coming into the church was happening in Acts and it was all tied to the word going forth. So continuing on is a necessity. Continuing on in the word 
as foundation for the ministry of the church, our church, is a necessity. It's a necessity. But it's also, secondly, continuing on in the word, is our relevance as the church. It's our relevance. It is how we are relevant in this world and in our lives. It's not only a necessity. We have to have it like air that we breathe. But it also is relevant to the very life that we live. In the world in which we live. It's actually the most relevant thing to the most lost of persons. We need it. So it is both necessity and relevance. See here, Paul is calling Timothy to a life and ministry of continued faithfulness in the word. This is Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy. It's his last one. We know Paul believes that his end is near. You can see that in in 2 Timothy 4. Paul has been abandoned by those who have served with him. He has seen a progressive move off of the word as foundation for ministry, and so he warns and he calls his protege to continue on with it. And we are to continue on with what we started with. The same challenge is there for us as a church family, to continue on with this word. A couple of things that Paul says there. He says, remember what you have learned and firmly believed. It speaks to the mentorship and discipleship relationship that Timothy had with Paul. Where Timothy saw Paul live this out, he saw and experienced and grew in knowing the necessity and relevance of the word as foundation for ministry. So Paul is reminding Timothy, you saw this play out in my life and ministry. Continue on in it. But then he also brings in Timothy's childhood, his upbringing from childhood. Timothy had a very gospel-rich upbringing under his mother and grandmother. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And they poured into their, their son and grandson Timothy these gospel truths that so ra- radically rescued their lives. So this call to continue on in the word isn't just for church leadership, but it's for everybody who calls this church home in whatever capacity you may have. So be encouraged if you're that grandmother or if you're that mom with that kid and you're instilling into them these truths. Continue on in that. If you're spending your Wednesday nights with teenagers, continue in on that. If you're gathering together on a Friday morning with our seniors to get around the word, no matter what stage of life you may be in and no matter what person you are, there is something for you to continue on in with. And that continuing on does good work in the hearts of others. So take courage, take, take courage and encouragement from Timothy's life. The word is relevant in that it brings us to our greatest need, just like it did to Timothy. It brought him to his greatest need, and it showed him how God meet, met that need in the person and in in work of Jesus Christ. What greater relevance is there? The word leads us to Jesus. What is more necessary or relevant than that? Can't lose the plot. Can't lose the plot as a church. Don't lose the plot of your life either. I want you to take a moment, for those of you in here who profess faith in Christ and have been following him for however many days, months, weeks, years, or whatever it is for you, I want you to think right now, right now, I want you to be thinking about people who have modeled to you a continuing on in the word. We've modeled before you in your life a stability and an endurance because they trust the word and they're in it. 
Think about how the gospel came alive in your heart one day. About those people who were instrumental in your life. Helping you understand what this, this word says. Are those people in your mind? Are their names, their faces, those moments? Are they flashing through your head right now? Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Actually continue on in that. What you have learned. What you have seen. What you have heard from whenever it was that these truths burst into your life. Both individually here, but also collectively as a church family. The word is a relevant necessity and a necessary relevance for our lives and for the very foundation of the ministry of life in this church. The word is a relevant necessity and a necessary relevance relevance. This is what we have, and this is what we are called to continue on in. And as we continue on, we, want, we need to realize we're going to be continuing on in whatever. <laughs> whatever, and all ever, and all of it. It is in it all. And whatever it is that we face in life, and whatever it is, the word is a necessary, relevant, and a relevant necessary necessity. Let's look at verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In whatever means, the word is not only foundational, but it becomes a philosophy of ministry for the church. It is a foundation for the ministry of the church, but it also is a philosophy. A philosophy of the ministry of the church means How do you look at life? How do you look at the world in which we live in? How do we look at the the role of the church in this world in which we live in? And how are we going to live that out? What is our approach to that? That's what philosophy of ministry means. It's like, how are we going to look at all of this and live it out together as a church? Are those ideas going to come from our creativity? Or are they going to come from what we see displayed in the Word? And for churches to endure and be stable, we need them to be coming from the Word. And that's what we see here in these two verses. There's two things about this philosophy of ministry that we're going to lean into on the word with. First is that the word is of supreme value. The word is of supreme value. The supreme value of the word shapes the ministry of the church. I mean, we can't get past it. Those first few words of verse 16. If these words are true, then they stop us in our tracks. There's no other, way, no other place we can go. If these words are true, we have no other thing to cling to as ultimate than this. All Scripture is breathed out by God. If that's true, then we should probably kind of take that serious. All means every. And that would have, in that moment, that would have included the Old Testament and even parts of the New Testament that have already been received at the time of these writings. A couple of places in Scripture that talk about Scripture being Scripture. The best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture, and the best talker of Scripture is Scripture. First Timothy five eighteen has this funny little phrase. It says, "For the Scripture says." You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So, without getting into the context of what's being said there, I just want you to see, Scripture is saying, Scripture, for the Scripture says. And it makes these references to Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So in Paul's day, he was able to look at the Old Testament and call it Scripture. 
But we also know in Paul's day that his writings were called Scripture. At the end of 2 Peter, uh, we find these words in verses 15 and 16. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them on these matters. There are some things in them, Paul's writings, that are hard to understand. Yes and amen. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You see what's being said about Paul's writings. They're called scriptures. The implication is that Paul's writing is also considered scripture. So, the word that we have, these scriptures that we have, the Bible that we have, is it is of supreme value. It's recognized as such in Scripture, and it's of supreme value because of its origin. It's breathed out by God. It has a divine origin. The supreme value of the Word is found in the source of it. One theologian worked really hard on all of this in his work called Revelation and Inspiration. His name is B.B. Warfield. He writes that Scripture is the product of the creative breath of God and because of its divine origin is of supreme value for all holy purposes. Supreme value. Do we believe that God's word is of supreme value for our own lives and for our church? You guys know that God sovereignly worked in and through human writers over millennia to bring forth his word. He did this miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that the uniqueness and personality and context of each writer is still intact. Isn't that amazing? It shines forth his glory and it leads us to Jesus. It's of supreme value. Peter also does say something about that process. Just want to you to be aware of it. In 2 Peter 1, 19-21, he says this, And we have the prophetic word, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is where the word is coming from. The work of the Holy Spirit through human authors. So not only is the word a necessary relevance to the foundation of the church, but also carries the supreme value to shape what we do and how we do it as a church. It shapes our philosophy of ministry. So it is of supreme value because secondly, it is also the supreme source. The word, the supreme source of the word equips the ministry of the church. The supreme value and the supreme source. Look at the rest of our passage in 16 and 17. So the word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word profitable here means a transformative benefit to those who receive it. A transformative benefit to those who receive it. Or another way to say it, it's good for us and it changes us. It's both good for us, and as it's good for us, it's changing us. Four ways are mentioned here. 
First, it says teaching. Actually, in these four ways, it begins with two positives and it has a little two negatives in the middle. So the first one is teaching. It's a general term that just simply means we learn the basics of the faith and how it leads us to Jesus. It just We have to learn. You have to learn the basics of what this is about and how it leads us to Jesus. Then in the middle, there are these two negatives, reproof and correction. They seem similar, but there's slightly important nuances that come with them. To reproof, it means that you are calling out of an abandoning or a leaving of the foundation of the word. Essentially, to reproof is to say, hey, you're going the wrong way. That's what reproof is doing. It's the word, and it's calling out to us as we come across it, and it's by the work of the Spirit, convicting our hearts and saying, hey, you are going the wrong way. We can experience that individually. We can experience that collectively as a church as we come through God's Word and we realize, hey, we've been going the wrong way. Reproof is good. You don't want to go the wrong way. In my Trinity class before our, our, the hour before our service, I was serious. I, I love driving through Boston. And, and it was a point of confusion for those in my, in my class. All the different one ways and all that, I feel like I'm, you know, escaping some sort of like spy novel, mystery, espionage, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, but it's easy to go the wrong way. Sometimes there are parts of Boston, your GPS is like, yeah, I don't know where you are. (laughs) So scripture calls out to us and says, hey, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. And that reproof is followed up with something very important, correction. Correction, the word here, has, something, has to do with straightening something out and restoring it in the right way. So you see those two dynamics together. The word being foundational and also of supreme value in the life of a church is saying to us, hey, you're going the wrong way, but I want to straighten you out. The word's not saying, hey, you're going the wrong way. Here's the ticket. Hey, you're going the wrong way. Let's go this way now. Let's go this way. You got off the wrong way, but here's the right way to go. And that leads us then to the fourth one, training. Training. That means building up the people with greater awareness, greater understanding, and greater ability to apply the word of God to the manner of our living. You see how those four can work together? Here are the foundational things. Yeah, you're going to mess up. Here's the way back. Now let's grow from it. The Word of God plays that out in our lives as a church. That's why it is a necessary relevance and a relevant necessity. All four are rooted in and lead to the transformative benefit of fostering more Christ-likeness in our lives. And then from that, equips us. Equips us for good works. The Word of God at work in the life of a church equips the church for good works. It's very easy for us to lose the plot. And, and part of our challenge in our day and age is that we live in a very individualistic world where we're the center of it with an increasingly distrust of institutions that are in our world. That's our cultural climate. We're out for ourselves and we don't trust anything in charge. So it makes the thing like a church very difficult. Put your heart all in. That's our cultural climate. We swim and breathe in this. 
This is what we are in. Whether we realize it or not, that's what we live in. Very individualistic. And in that individualism, we can overemphasize the me and Jesus relationship. Now, don't hear me wrong. Jesus is certainly all about you. He did not endure what he did and overcame what he did and gives what he gives if he didn't care deeply for you personally. He does hear that. But he also cares about us, we. We. And as you get to experience how Jesus is all about you, and you get to be all about Jesus, you'll see what he wants you to do in this life. He has stuff for you to do individually, and he has stuff for us to do collectively. That counters our cultural climate of being individualistic and rejecting institutions. That we collectively together want to go about doing the good stuff that Jesus has for us. Paul emphasizes that in a major way in his three letters here that we're considering in First and Second Timothy and Titus. Eleven times he connects this to the work of God in the people of God so that the people of God do good works for God. Eleven times he talks about it in these three letters. The big point of emphasis. We also know he said something very significant in Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the most incredible passages breaking down the gospel. And at the end of it, we find this description. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus rescues us from sin and rescues us to life. And this life is to be filled with good works we are to walk in. And you might say, what are those good works? It's an appropriate question to ask. We see it here in the Timothy passage. We're to be equipped for good works. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. What are good works? Well, not to be overly simplistic, I would put it this way. Living in a way that makes much of God. Much of who he is, what he is like, what he has done, and why it matters. What are the good works that we're called to in our lives and as a church? To live in a way that shows off who God is, what he is like, what he has done, and why it matters. We try to summarize it in a variety of ways here. Living as if he's worthy and worth it. Treasuring Christ through all of life. Treasuring Christ through worship, in community, on mission. We want to live in such a way and do the kinds of things that direct our hearts and the hearts of others to Jesus as the one who puts it all together for us. And we don't want to lose that plot. And the best way to not lose that plot is to not lose this foundation and philosophy of ministry that we find in the Word. We hold on tightly to it. From that, we learn how the Word is sufficient for us to continue on in whatever we face. Again, the Word is the necessary relevance that leads us to Jesus, and the Word is the supreme value and source for our transformed lives and ministry to others. So I ask, doesn't this sound like a great thing to make as the main thing? If the Word can hold that and shoulder the weight of that, isn't that sound like a really good thing to keep the main thing? So why do we, or why do churches, struggle to keep the main thing the main thing? Well, let's look at our last point. Uh, The Word is to characterize the life of a church as it continues on in whatever, and that last one is no matter what. Endurance for ministry. Let's look at uh, chapter 4, 1 through 5 again. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge, uh, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reproof, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itchy ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We see here that the Word will help us keep the main thing the main thing, that we can actually have endurance in ministry for the church, and endurance implies struggle, and struggle points us to the realities of our own hearts and in the worlds in which we live in. And so we can't act like it's not hard. We can't be aloof to the challenge of our own hearts, and we can't be aloof to the world in which we live in. We play aloof with those things we will not endure. We need to labor together to keep the main thing the main thing no matter what. And so Paul lays it all out in these parting words. He's, he says, just keep preaching no matter what. This is an emotionally charged ending from Paul. He's conveying urgency and importance. It's almost like his very heart is being bled out on these words and pages to his protege, Timothy. And he gives him five imperatives to keep the main thing the main thing. The first we see there is preach the word. If the word is the necessary relevance that leads us to Jesus and the supreme value and source of life and ministry, what else could be the main thing? What else? We can't make our emotions and corporate worship the main thing. We can't make our connectedness and community the main thing. We can make the coolness of our mission in our broader community the main thing. They can't sustain that kind of weight of main thing weight. They actually are empowered and strengthened and made able when the main thing is the main thing. The joy of gathering together to sing and to praise and to pray. The significance of meaningful Relationships and community that walk through all of life together, strengthened, supplied, the intentionality and reach of mission into this world around us as broken and lost and hurting and confused is fueled as we keep the main thing the main thing. So he says, preach the word. Then he goes on, he says, be ready for all seasons. Preach the word when it's cool. Convenient and when it's not cool and not convenient. Preach it regardless of its convenience. This drives home that no matter what. Be constant at preaching no matter what. Churches come and go and they have ebbs and flows. We're all human and so there are times in which we feel close to the Lord and we feel far from the Lord. Sometimes we all sort of sync up and we collectively as a church feel far from the Lord. We feel far from the Lord, church. We feel close to Him. Do you feel far from the Lord? Do you feel close to Him? Supreme value and source of the Word is our means by which we feel these things, know these things, experience these things. Let's feel the weight of that, church. Next, he says, reprove. It's the same word that we saw earlier. Sometimes churches need to be told, hey, you're going the wrong way. Or maybe you're not going any which way. You're just sitting there. What are you doing? Your blinkers are on. Next, we find rebuke. This is the only place we see this word. The only other place, sorry, that we see this word is Jude 9. 
which is really a strange scene involving an angel and the devil. And the angel says, the Lord rebuke you. I don't want to distract you with that, but that's the only other time that we see that. What do we get from that? The point seems to be that there will be hard cases of great opposition that can happen within the life of a church, and it needs to be stopped right away. The word is relevant for that kind of a moment. Praise the Lord that that's not something we're facing together as a church family right now. And then lastly, the fifth one we see him say is exhort. It's encouragement toward action. That's what the word means, exhort. You're encouraging to action, toward action. Meaning building up to send out kind of preaching. To, to, to teach and preach the word in such a way that it builds up and sends out folks into action. All of this is to be done with patience and teaching. Careful shepherding and care. But honestly, sometimes it's really challenging to keep the main thing the main thing. Really challenging. Ebb and flow of life, busyness, challenges, distractions, people move. It's hard. It's hard. Some of you have been part of Trinity for a long time and you know this. It's hard. But we labor, we have to labor together to keep the main thing the main thing. Verses 3 and 4 from chapter 4 of Second Timothy says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth, will wander off into myths. There can be all kinds of distractions and discouragements that can come from within the church, from within, not outside, but inside. Sometimes churches want to trade in the long-haul sufficiency of the word for something quick, something catchy. Sometimes churches would rather read into the word rather than have the word read into us. There are two funny words that preachers have to wrestle with. But I think churches have to. So I'm going to put them up on the screen. It's not just a preacher thing. Churches struggle with this too. One word, exegesis, means to draw out of the text what is actually there. It's allowing the text to speak to us. That's what I feel responsible and tasked to do. I will not do that perfectly, but I will labor to do that. The other word is eisegesis, which means to lead into, as into leading our own ideas into the text. One is being shaped by the text. The other is shaping the text to fit the purposes. Itchy ears lead to eisegesis in the life of the church. We have to remind ourselves, is the word truly the supreme value and source for our church? Is it foundational? Is it our philosophy? Is it our endurance? Instead, we want to be a church, not just a leadership, not just staff, not just adult volunteers. We want to be a church that goes about fulfilling the ministry. Verse 5 says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So don't check out on that verse. It's for you too. It's not just for me or the elders or staff. It's for you too. If Timothy is to lead in this way, then the churches are to live in this way. We are, we are collectively to keep the main thing the main thing. We are to do so with humbleness and endurance and evangelism, 
and intentionality. It's a we thing for Trinity. So I want to do something that I should probably not do. I want to rephrase 2 Timothy 4.2. I want to reimagine it from a church-side application. Obviously, it's being said to Timothy, and it has implication on the life of the church. I want to read it as in terms of directly to the church. So let's, let me just give me a little bit of liberty here, please. And then let's hear these words as the church. Receive the word. Take it in always. Turn back when you go off. Embrace what is true. And get ready to do this work too. With readiness and teachability. We, together, need to fight off the distractions and discouragements from being characterized by the word. We, together, must endure in relying on this very word. I have no hope or desire or intentionality to see Trinity's hollowed halls be hollowed out. This season of life that we are in together is crucial. We will be taking time to reflect on 75 years of God's faithfulness to this church. As we do that, we are going to be looking forward to what another 75 years could be. I don't know what that will look like. I don't anticipate seeing another 75 years. But the years ahead, what makes this moment so crucial is how are we going to do that? Are we going to hold on to these simple but deep and relevant necessary truths? The year ahead calls for us to continue on in the Word, in whatever circumstances we face, no matter what, church. And that, that can start now, with a growing vibrancy and life and trust and hope, and that we would experience together the transformative benefit of the Word at work in us. It can start now. So may it be that Trinity Baptist Church here in Nashua, New Hampshire be characterized by the necessary relevance, the relevant necessity, the supreme value and supreme source, the very means of our endurance. This, the word. Let us pray. God, we ask that you would do that in us and help us to see that it is truly sufficient for us, our hearts, our lives, the things that we face. We have great obstacles that we will face, overcome by means of your grace in this life, in our lives, in our life as a church. And we know that there will be people who move and things will change. And we know that new people will move in and things will change. And we know that change will come. In the midst of those kinds of changes, God, may we not change off of relying on your word, being people of prayer that we would see these simple, ordinary things as supernatural and miraculous God-giving graces for our church. I know it feels a little countercultural, not just in our world, but also in the way that so many churches approach ministry and life together. I do pray, God, you would give us a heart for this, that we'd be alive to your word, We'd be people eager to talk about it, think about it, read it, share it, be changed by it, delight in it. And that through that, 
would bring lost and hurting and weak and wounded, wandering folks into our midst where they would experience that transformative good of your word in their lives. It leads us to Jesus. Jesus, we pray. Amen.